be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is light to our feet and a lamp to our path. We thank you that it is your revelation of yourself to us, God. And we pray that as we dive into it together, that you would allow us to see you first and foremost and above all else. Will you, by your spirit, teach us of you? And will you, Holy Spirit, help us to humble ourselves under the authority and the power of your word? God, we already know at the outset that at times this text for tonight can be difficult to hear and difficult to understand, but we trust you that you are always good, that you are always right, and that your word is for our good. So we thank you for the faithful preaching of your word. We thank you for Pastor Chris, and I ask that you would use him as your mouthpiece tonight, that you would speak the words of truth and life through him, bring back to his remembrance everything that he needs to share with us, Lord, and give us ears to hear, not just him, but you through him. And we thank you, God, that we won't just be hearers of your word, but we will be doers. We will leave this place praising your name and endeavoring to yield to Christ as we let him live through us. It's in your name and for your name's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to acknowledge that this text that was just read to you, from the outside looking in, seems crazy. Okay? And what I mean by that, if you're on the outside of Christianity, if you're on the outside of the biblical worldview, this text is crazy. I get that, all right? I want to, before, just I'm assuming some of you are going to have trouble with this tonight, okay? So before we go into the text, I want to show you that these things, these five things I'm going to put on the screen here and read through with you, are in the Bible, and they are what we believe as Christians, and they are rooted in the Scriptures, and they come before this text. So we are... Uh, assuming what is about to come before you, because it's rooted in Scripture, and this is the foundation for what our text is teaching us tonight. Okay, you ready to be offended? Number one, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all things good and for their glory, their Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their glory. Therefore, every human being as God's creatures 
will stand before this God and give an account for their entire lives, their thoughts, words, motives, and deeds. You can read about this in Genesis 1 to 2 and Revelation 21, 11 to 15. Number two, God designed the male and female binary genders defined by our biological sex. God created the male and female in his image. Number three, God designed marriage for one man and one woman for life. One man, one woman for life. In this context only, only we can practice sexuality. In other words, any sexual activity or thoughts or any kind of sexual immorality outside of the context of marriage is sin and will be met by God on judgment day. Number four, God designed gender roles within marriage for the purpose of marital flourishing. So not only is there defined gender, but there is defined gender roles within marriage, but this was for human flourishing. Number five, there is a great and powerful enemy of God, Satan, who is hell-bent on twisting, distorting, and destroying everything God made good and for human flourishing. Okay, so those are all underneath and foundational to this text. Now, before we jump into the Ephesians text, I think Paul here, who wrote to the church at Ephesus and then to all the churches of Asia Minor, is assuming that you understand the Genesis account of the creation of marriage, the creation of marriage. So let's look at that, and then let's quickly look at what went wrong, and then let's fly through those um, verses in Ephesians 5. Does that sound good? All right, let's do it. Genesis 2, 18. So God has created the garden. He's created the entire world. He's created everything. And he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then we have this, it's not good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, it's not good. What's not good? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You could translate that corresponding to him. It fits him like him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God takes care of this. It is not good. And how does he do it? He creates a corresponding creature or a creature fit for Adam, one like him. So if you will, all the animals were paraded before God, all the fish, all of the, the birds, and he names them, pelicans and peacocks and aardvarks and sloths and none like him, none like him. And so God says, I will take care of this. And literally, woman is taken out of man. You know, man was created from the dust of the earth. It's as if God took, 
the clay and molded it into a, a beautiful work of art in the shape of a human male. And then he breathed into Adam the breath of life, a spirit, and he became a living being. And now, out of Adam, he puts him to sleep, does some surgery, pulls out a rib, and takes this rib as the core elements of Eve and shapes her out of Adam. Literally, she's taken out of him. It's, it's, it's amazing. And as Adam wakes up from his surgery, if you will, a wedding is happening. <laughs> it's his wedding. And, and if you will, God walks Eve down the aisle as a father walks daughter down the aisle and he puts Eve's hand into Adam's hand and he pronounces them husband and wife. And Adam's first recorded words, man's first recorded words in all of scripture is poetry spoken to a wife. It's amazing, a husband and a wife, romantic beauty, glory. And it was Ray Ortland that said, it's amazing that if you, you can bracket the entire Bible with marriage, opens up with marriage, and it closes with the marriage of Christ and his bride. The whole Bible bracketed by marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They are united as one. Now, we know that God in the Bible is revealed as three persons but one God. And we say, how can that be? Well, he's three in one sense and one in another sense. He's not three in one in the same sense. That would be contradictory and ridiculous. So in what ways, here are some ways that God is one. God is one in essence. God is one in purpose. God is one in love. God is one in power. God is one in, in being. But he is separate in persons. The Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. One God, three persons. And so in the same way, humanity made in his image married reflect how more than one can be a one. That you have the two who become one. And marriage is to reflect Christ in the church as we will see. But it's also a picture of how you could have two separate entities, persons, be united as one. And in the best of marriages, we have a oneness, a unity, a togetherness that can't be duplicated anywhere else and in any other relationship. I don't care how much you love your dog or your cat. Okay? You can't do it. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. You see, sin had not come into the world and the number one result of sin entering the world is fear, guilt, and shame. Every human being experiences it. Fear, guilt, and shame. And so they cover their nakedness after they sin. And, but in this text, no, no sin, and so no shame. They don't even know they're naked. I love it that when Adam first sins, he runs and hides from God. God comes and says, Adam, where are you? He said, I was naked, and I heard you coming, so I hid. And he says, who told you you were naked? Oh, yeah, I guess something's different, huh? See, the, the dawning of nakedness was actually the dawn of shame. It was shame entered into his experience for the first time, and he felt like he needed to cover himself and not be seen in his sin and guilt. Now, after the fall, we have, uh, we're going to fast track here. Uh, Adam and Eve disobey God. They have one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They eat, 
Eve took of the, the fruit first. She ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened. You know, they were tempted by Satan who entered into a snake and said, you will surely not die if you disobey God directly. He totally contradicted God's words, said, believe me, don't believe him, trust in my word, don't trust in his word, and take for yourself what God is denying you. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And so curses are put upon the snake, upon the man, and upon the woman. But because of what's coming next, I want you to in particular, see the curse upon the woman in marriage, okay? Maybe you never realized that marriage is cursed, which is why it's so hard. <laughs> marriage hard, any married people? Yeah, thank you. Every, every hand, either half went up, and some are like way up there. Okay, I'm not going to say whose hand was way up there, but all right. To the woman, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Okay? I was there. It looked painful. Enough said. Like, if you're there, you know this is terrible. Thank God for epidurals. Right, ladies? Yeah. Your desire... Now, now here's the marriage part. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Okay, you see, in the design of God, God created Adam first, and he created Eve to be a helper. There was not a helper found for him. She was taken out of him to be his helper, to accompany him, to complement him. It was not good that Adam could be alone because you can't, you can't image God as a one, alone. And he needed a compliment. He needed someone to be like him but not like him. And if all would have went well, Adam would have sacrificially and lovingly led his wife and she would have lovingly submitted to him and there would have been this ongoing serving of one another in love. But instead, the curse happens, and Eve is going to desire to take charge of the relationship, and as a result, Adam is going to rule with an iron fist, if you will. He's going to respond with harshness. He's going to rule over her, and this, this is part of the problems of marriage. Now, I'm not saying all the problems in marriage are that ladies want to take over the relationship. I'm not saying that. But ladies, you know, because you feel it in your heart, the desire is, this guy's a fool, and I need to step up, or nothing's getting done. I'm glad no one said amen. But I know you were thinking it. I know you were thinking it. Okay? Now, we know that this is talking about sin and, and desiring to overtake, because in the very next chapter, sin desires to take Adam's Two children, one in particular, Cain. He desires to, uh, to, take, eat, to uh, take Abel. And Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to God. And Abel's is accepted. Cain's is rejected. Cain is murderously jealous and angry. And he wants to kill Abel because he is murderously jealous and angry at him. And God knows this is happening. And so God confronts him in his anger, in his rage, in his jealousy. And he says, if you do well, Cain... You will, will you not be accepted? 
Genesis 4, 7. And if you do not do well, listen, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. So God is telling Cain here, sin desires to overtake you, but you need to rule over it. Eve wants to be contrary to Adam, but he's going to rule over her. Now, here's the good news. In Jesus, the curse is reversed. In Jesus, God is making all things well, even marriage. He's redeeming it. He's recreating it. And he gives the power to live in such a way where the husband, rather than ruling over the wife, he dies for her. And she responds by loving, respecting, and submitting to him. And this is what we're about to see. Now, before we jump into 520, let's remember in the context of Ephesians 5, 521 comes before 20, and it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there is in marriage, where we're going next, a mutual submission. Mutual submission. Those of you who are planning on getting married, there is a mutual submission that has to happen in marriage. You know this. It's not whatever he says goes. It's not how it works. Okay? It can't be. So the husband lovingly submits his power, his energy, his efforts, his life to his wife, her needs, her desires, her wants. He dies for her. And out of her love for him, out of her respect for him, she submits to his lead, his leading the family. That's how this works, when it works well. So, next verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I love that Paul didn't say, women submit to men. It's not, it's not the case, no. Wives, submit to your own husband and look as to the Lord. So why would wives want to submit to a husband? Well, prayerfully, he is living like Jesus, and he is dying for her. And she's like, no man has ever lived like this for me before. But secondly, she does it as if she's doing it for Christ. You see it? As to the Lord. And listen, friends, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what? Do it as to the Lord or unto God or for his glory. And the idea is when you do what you do as to God, you will be rewarded by him. Even if there's no response or not the response you would like from your husband. God will reward you. And so you submit as if you're submitting to God. Why? Because God set up marriage this way. This is what we need to see. God is wise beyond what we can imagine. God is not foolish, okay? His design is for human flourishing, not for human oppression, not for human breakdown, not for abuse. No, human flourishing. And so when both husband and wife are living in God's will, what is God's will? What's clearly laid out in the scriptures, it causes flourishing, 
But when one's walking in the will of God and the other's walking contrary, it does create chaos. It does not create flourishing. It creates fighting and hardship. And when both are outside of God's will, good night. Wives, submit to your own husband. So the first thing we need to see is the submission is only to their own husband. No, no wives in here except for mine are supposed to submit to me. Don't get it twisted. Okay? And the, the, the wife is supposed to submit to their own husband as to the Lord, as to Christ. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife even as... Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, notice that it's just stated as a matter of fact. You notice that? It's just, this is the way it is. (laughs) For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So what is being said here is, Husbands, you're the leader of the family. Whether you like it or not, whether you're a good leader or not, whether she sees you as a leader or not, whether she respects you as a leader or not, God sees you as the leader. And are you a good leader or are you a bad leader? That's the question. Now, the head takes responsibility. When something's going wrong in a department, who is to blame or who gets called into the office the manager the one who's in charge of the team you see the head is responsible for how the marriage is going how's it going brothers now one of our four core commitments as a church is to train and challenge men to lead sacrificially this is one of those texts brothers that i get to hammer on you lovingly and you like it. It's strange, but we like this. We like to get hammered. Okay? Tell me how it is, man. Don't hold back. All right. Brothers, I don't care if she's not submitting to you. You are to sacrifice for her as Christ sacrificed for the church because you are the leader of the family. Maybe she's not following your lead because you're not a good leader. Maybe. Brothers, maybe you're not dying for her by living for her. Maybe you spend more time on the video games than you spend with her, and who wants to follow that lead? Yeah, you're killing it in Fortnite. How are you doing in your marriage? I love you. Hey, cook me some eggs. Do you expect her to follow your lead? Well, you want her to pick up the controller and play with you? Huh? I love you guys, okay? And I know that not all of you abuse video games, but some of you do. Okay? Some of you are off hobbying all the time, and you leave her all the work. It's not sacrifice. That's selfishness. You want her to follow your lead? So your wife cuts the grass, changes the oil, changes the brakes, changes the diapers, cooks all the food, and you get to go do whatever? I'm exaggerating, obviously, here. The idea is, are you sacrificing 
Are you giving up? You know what sacrifice means? Pain, hurt, death. (laughs) When Old Testament sacrifices occurred, the animals bled and died. Brothers, how you doing? Now listen, I know this is challenging because everything in our cultures says, have it your way, do you. You got to get satisfaction because you only live once. And if men follow that lie from the pit of hell, marriage is not going to go well. Children are not going to grow up flourishing. Brothers, it's time to die for your wives and your family, not use them, not neglect, not abdicate. I had to learn this myself. Okay? And, and for me, it wasn't video games, it wasn't hobbies, it wasn't, you know, going to shows. No, I, I was doing ministry. I was neglecting my wife to do ministry. You say, well, you were serving God, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. It could be good things, brothers, that you're doing, but you're, you're doing them at the cost of your wife and your family. Now, on the other side, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing any ministry and doing anything outside of the home. That's, that's far too, to the other side. No, but ask your wife, brothers, how am I doing at leading? Because look, the husband is the head of the wife. That means leader. That means you're responsible. It means you're responsible for how the marriage is going. See, we like to think of that head of the wife. That means I get to call the shots. I get to tell her what to do and not do. No, it means you get to take responsibility for how it's going. And often how it's going depends on how you're doing. Brothers, Chris, PJ, right, brother? That's right. You see, and we need this. I need you to say this to me. How's it going, Chris? We need to move on. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's it's a metaphor. We're the body. He's the head. What does the head tell the body to do? Everything. Okay, but the image here is not that the husband gets to tell the wife to do everything. No, Jesus is the head of the church, but listen what Jesus did for the church. He took responsibility for the church's mess. Did he not? The church is his people. His people were an absolute mess. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the healthy. I came to call the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus himself said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, Jesus came in and took responsibility for his people's mess. That's part of what marriage is. Brothers, you come in and you start to take responsibility for the mess, if there is a mess. But you know what oftentimes is the case? She's taking care of his mess. Not in Christian marriage, brothers. It's time to step up. It's time maybe for you to wake up 
get a job maybe. I, I don't know. We need to step up, brothers, as Christians in marriage. We cannot be taking a nap and expecting her to follow our leads. Men, shake your head. All right. All right. And is himself its savior. So the husband also takes responsibility for the marriage when it's in trouble, and he takes action as savior. He, he saves what is being broken down. He comes in to fix and to seek to repair and to rebuild, if that's where you're at. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, ladies, I hate to say this, but even if your husband is dropping the ball, God still wants you to submit to him as if you're submitting to Jesus, and he will reward you for submitting to him. And you know what God will often do? If you will lovingly submit and pray, God will change his heart. Now, let me qualify that. We're not talking about abuse here, and we're not talking about him living outside of the biblical uh, parameters, which means sin. Okay? So God is not asking you ladies to tolerate sin and to tolerate abuse. Okay? There are safeguards set up in the church for that. It's called Christian fellowship. It's called membership, where you can actually call him to accountability. This is why membership is so important. I say it every week. And oftentimes, the brothers have had no example to follow. And so, brothers, I feel you. Dad dropped the ball. Your dad dropped the ball. I have no idea what to do. I get it. Okay? That's why Christian community comes alongside you and helps you to do what has not been modeled for you to do. We're here to help. We should be walking alongside each other, understanding that we're living in chaos. We're in a mess. Yet God is redeeming. He is recreating. He is sanctifying, healing, making holy. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Okay? So the, the, the wife just gets <laughs> one verse, 22, two verse, 23, three verses, 24. Guess what the rest of the text is? It's for you, brothers. It's for you. It's for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how am I supposed to love my wife? You give up yourself, you give up yourself, you give up yourself. Selflessness is how you lead, brothers. How did Jesus give up himself? He literally died for his wife. His wife is the church. You die for her. But you, you, you die by living for her. Like, this is what every lady dreams for. This is what they want. This is what God designed them for. Now, it's, let, me not, let, let me say this. It's not that they need you to die for them because most of them can succeed fine on their own and probably take care of a whole household of kids too without you. So it's not a competence thing here as if they need you to survive. They don't. We see single moms killing it all the time, don't we? But that doesn't mean 
that it's good for a woman to be alone with a bunch of kids. No. God designed a man and a woman to be together for life, and the husband is to be living for his wife in such a way for he's, where he is dying to himself, and his affection and efforts are directed towards her and towards his family if he has one. That doesn't mean there's no time ever for shooting or for basketball or for video games or going to the movies or whatever. I'm not saying that. Okay? But what I am saying is what guys tend to do is overdo their self-interests and then give the smallest and the least amount of energy to wife and kids. And it should not be, brothers. Let's rather give the least and the last to our hobbies and to ourselves. And let's give the best to our wives and our children. Come on, Evan. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) He's like, yeah. All right. Good. That... This is what Jesus did. He gave himself up that he might sanctify her. That word means a lot, but it means to set apart, and it means to make holy. It also means to cleanse her. Look, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is a picture of what Jesus does to the church through the word. The word is the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for the Greek. And so when the, when the gospel is preached and it's believed, there is a washing away of your sins, friends. We just read it, 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Washed washed in the blood of Christ. And baptism is a picture of this. And so if you're a Christian, but you've not been baptized, this is your next step. It's a picture of washing with water, but it's also a picture that you've been united with Jesus in his life, death going under the water, resurrection coming up out of the water. You're new in Christ, and you're washed, and you're clean. You're washed, and you're clean. So that This is in order that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus gives himself up for the church. Why? That he might sanctify her. What does sanctifying her mean? It means cleansed with the washing of water of the word, gospel, and God is now changing and transforming men and women his wife, into perfection. Look, so that one day he might present the church to himself. So Jesus is cleansing us so that he can present himself, us to himself. Now the picture here, verse 27, as the commentators have pointed out, is that on the wedding day for most women, they are very attentive to how they look. I mean, they've spent massive amounts of time and energy on the dress. They have hired people to do hair and makeup and take pictures, and they are very concerned that they look perfect as they walk down that aisle. Right, ladies? Right? This is a picture of that, but Jesus is the one perfecting us, and Jesus is presenting the the bride to himself. It's a picture. 
This is what Christ is doing with you and me. This is what your trials and troubles and hardships are all about. You know that, right? This is what James says to us in chapter 1. Hate this verse. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance produces steadfastness so that you'll be complete, lacking nothing. Or that you'll be in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that you might be holy and without blemish. You see, trials cause you, if you're a Christian, to cling to God and to renounce sin, maybe run away from it. And God is committed, Jesus is committed to cleansing you, to washing you, to continuing to perfect you until one day you are glorious. I can't wait for that splendor, verse 27, to break out in me. And it's going to happen the day I die. I'll be perfect. And one day I'm getting a new body. One that won't ache when I wake. You know what I'm talking about? You wake up, you're like, oh man. And you wonder if the chiropractor's in that day. I'm going to get a new body with energy beyond what Red Bull can pass into my body. And I can't wait. Okay? And you're going to look amazing. We're going to look at each other and be like, is that you? Eddie, is that you? It is you. And he'll say it back to me. There's glory coming for us. And, and see, it's not just going to be in bodily majesty. And remember what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. We are either on our way to becoming two kinds of creatures. One so amazing that if you saw it now, you'd be tempted to worship. Or one so hideous that you would only see in nightmares. We're going two ways. But listen, your character is being transformed, and your character is being addressed in this verse here. And listen, in marriage, you see each other's flaws on a 4K 70-inch screen, right? All married people, shake your head, oh yeah, I see them all every day. You see them. And see, what you're not supposed to do, wives and husbands, is just point at the flaws. You did this again. You said that again. You had that attitude again. You left that on the floor. You didn't clean up this. You didn't, you know. That's not the way. That's not the way that we become splendorous without spot or wrinkle. No, rather, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Is that a clue? Perhaps your kindness to your spouse, your loving encouragement to your spouse, your self-sacrifice, ladies receiving love, husbands receiving respect, perhaps that might have some transformative power rather than the club of condemnation. We think that we can condemn the other into character transformation to be like Jesus. I'm just going to hammer you with insults until you become righteous. It's not going to work. I'm just going to denigrate you until you become righteous. No, it's not going to work. I'm going to hammer you with discouragements until you become beautiful. No, it's not going to work. No, rather, kindness, love, respect, encouragement. Friends, you don't know how powerful encouragement is. 
And many of you have not gotten it. And many of you, the whole concept is foreign to you. You don't even know how to give it. Because it was never given to you. When we meet an encouraging person, they're, they're just magnetic. I need to be around you. And you don't even know what it is sometimes. Oh, that God would make us encouragers in marriage. Good finders in marriage, not fault finders. Grace detectors, not fault inspectors. I'm doing that Dr. Seuss thing again, aren't I? I'm sorry. So that he might present the church to himself. I love this image. So, so Jesus is beautifying the church in order to present the church back to him. I just love that image. He's committed to making me beautiful, you beautiful, us beautiful, and then on the wedding day, he's going to present us to himself, and we'll finally be beautiful. Holy and without blemish. I can't wait to be holy and without blemish. Holy means morally perfect, but it means splendorously beautiful. It means loving all the right things and hating all the wrong things. It means, listen, that all the time, without effort, you are loving you're joyful, you're at peace, you're patient, you're kind, you're gentle. You have self-control. Can you imagine that? Just continuously without effort? And everybody's going to be like that. What's heaven going to be like? Or should I say, what's the new earth going to be like? Because it will be heaven. In the same way, verse 28 in the same way, so now we're to imitate husbands. We are to wash with the word. The word is the gospel. So what are we supposed to do, husbands? We're supposed to exercise the gospel on our wives. So what happens when the church screws up? What do you do when you screw up? Well, you confess. And what does Jesus do to you? He forgives he cleanses. He receives with open arms. I love you. I'll take responsibility for that. See, that, husbands, you are to be like Jesus to your wife in that Jesus took responsibility for his wife's sin and he receives her with grace, with kindness, with, with passion. And, and that washing with the gospel, and, and I would say even speaking it, you, you got to be so familiar with the gospel, it's like your language. If Satan is the father of lies and when he speaks, he speaks his native language, speaks lie fluently, you need to be able to speak gospel fluently. Husbands, when you speak, you need to speak your native language, gospel. Do you know it so well that you can apply to every single thing in your wife's life? Are you that fluent? We have a big task ahead of us, don't we, brothers? Because your wife has a lot of fears, a lot of concerns, a lot of anxieties, a lot of troubles, just like you do. How does the gospel speak into that, and are you able to speak into that? Are you? Let's get good at this, friends. And the husband should love their, I'm sorry, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, this, this speaks to you are united to your wife. The two shall become one flesh. 
So you are no longer an individual husband. You are now a unified one. I tell this story all the time, but I, it's comical. My friend uh, was a, like a gym fanatic and, uh, you know, and, and he was like, man, when I get married, can, I can't just like go to the gym when I want. I can't just like go and, you know, buy whatever I want at the, at the GNC store. And I can't just, no, bro. You don't get to call the shots anymore and make your own schedule and say, follow after me. It's not how this works. Now, for some of you, you're like, that sounds like a cage. That sounds like a trap. Marriage isn't for you. Stay single. Like, stay single and do your thing. But now you have a problem because your life is not your own if you're a Christian. You're bought with a price. And you're supposed to be glorifying God with your bodies. So are you living for you or are you living for God? And see, husbands are to be living for God by living for who? Their wives. So, so this might be a helpful practice. I've done this not enough. <laughs> when you're upset and you're annoyed and you feel like your day's been ruined, how, how about that weird expression, my day? Oh, your day. Are you a Christian? Because that's not Christian. So, so I, I've, I've begun to do this. Things come into my life. And if I'm honest, this is what my attitude is saying to God. God, I, I am not too favorable to how your day is agreeing with me. That doesn't sound too good, does it? The things that God brings into my day, I don't like. And I'm not very happy about this, God, the way you're letting my day go. But it's not my day, is it? You're not your own. You're a bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. You don't have any more days. <laughs> if you're a Christian, like this is crazy. The Christian life is crazy. We are living for another. We are living for another kingdom. We are not our own. And we are to love our wives as our own bodies. Okay, now, now what do you do to your own body? Well, the next verse, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You take care of you all the time. As it's been said, I love me some me. And I take care of me all the time. When I'm hungry, what do I do? I find me some food. If I'm cold, I find me either another warmer shirt or some socks or a cover or if I'm thirsty, I get a drink and on and on. And see, we take care of ourselves. Well, you're supposed to take care of your wife's needs in the same way. What does she need? Have you asked her? Do you know? If I said to you right now, what does she need? Could you give me the top five things? Could you give me the top two things? Could you give me the number one thing that she needs? And, and maybe you might just blow her world up by saying, babe, what do you need? And not like, what do you need? <laughs> That's not going to, I need you to get out of my face. <laughs> no, no, I love you. What do you need from me? How can I serve you? How can I die for you? Now, now if you've never spoken like this before, you might not want to just say this on the way home because she's going to be like, all right, 
But maybe you are the romantic, poetic type, and she would receive this, because this is how you talk all the time. Babe, what do you need from me? I am now ready to die for you. What do you need from me? How can I sacrifice? What can I give up? And see how that's met. See what kind of attitude comes back to you. I bet it's not going to be harsh. I bet it's not going to be bad. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So, so the picture is Jesus is taking care of his wife all the time. He gives us what we need. And sometimes he gives us what we need in ways that we don't want, which is trouble and trials and hardships and disappointments and our plans and things not going our way. But he knows better. He is wiser. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts because we are members of his body. Last couple verses and we're done, and I'm going to fly through these. So quoting Genesis 2 that we read earlier, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this is talking about the union of two people in marriage. Yes, there's union of body, but it's not just that. Your, your souls are uniting. Okay? You are now a one God sees you not as individuals, but together. And there's all kind of implications here, okay? If we were doing premarital counseling, we could talk about bank accounts. We could talk about your, you know, the way that you schedule your days and your weeks. And we could talk about, you know, your, your purchasing habits and all kinds of things. But we're not going to do that right now. But are you treating your wife like she's a part of you? Or are you doing you? Brothers. Is it, all, is it all about you? Does she exist to serve you in your ends? And you're annoyed when she's not serving the way that you want her to. Is marriage all about you, brothers? This mystery is profound. Okay, so now Paul's getting into mystery here. Mystery, when Paul talks about it, is in this sense. It's something hidden in the past that is now revealed through the holy apostles and prophets. It was always there. It was hidden to our sight. Now it's being shown to us. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So, verse 32 is massively profound and gives us massive insight into Satan's attack on marriage. Every human marriage is a living, physical parable of Jesus and his church. And Satan hates it. And he's doing everything he can to destroy it. Because every healthy marriage shows a healthy picture of Jesus and his church. And so what does he want to do? He wants to destroy any semblance of Jesus and his bride. Friends, marriage is is under assault. Your marriage is under assault, not just from the culture. Forget the culture. Satan himself, his demons are against your marriage. Have you felt it? I have. Do you have eyes to see it? You realize our wrestle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's not the problem. She's not ultimately the problem. There's an unseen, invisible enemy underneath things, screwing with the whole thing. And oh, that we would have spiritual eyes to see. 
This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ in the church. Our marriages are pictures of Christ in the church, every one of them. And so we have to ask this question now. Did marriage precede Christ in the church, or did Christ in the church precede marriage? Well, it would seem that Christ and his church preceded marriage. Because before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. Before the foundation of the world, marriage was created in Genesis chapter 2. At least the first one was instituted. And so the idea is Christ in the church was in the picture. Human marriage came to show Christ and the church. And when Christ is with the church, what happens to marriage? It's gone. Remember what Jesus said, that in heaven, we're like the angels. We're neither married or given in marriage. Why? Because the fulfillment has come. We don't need the picture anymore. 33, however, however, let each one of you, so husband and wife, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, whole volumes have been written on this verse. You know it. Maybe some of you have the books. But all I want to say is this. Wives, if you're disrespecting your husband, either by your actions or with your words, you are making it massively difficult for him to love you and to sacrifice for you. Listen, you are harming yourself. You are harming your own marriage if you are disrespecting him. Husbands, if you are not loving your wife and sacrificing for her, it is really hard for her to respect you. You realize that. It's like, why would I respect him? He's a fool. And maybe you are. And the proverb speaks a lot to fools. And it says, come out of your foolishness and become wise. And wisdom would say, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're not loving your wife and sacrificing for her. But you're hurting yourself. Don't you see it? If she's united to you and you're a one and you are not loving her, you are not loving yourself. You are shooting yourself in the foot. And so we can cycle badly by not loving and disrespect to further not loving to more disrespect to hostile to violence maybe. Or we can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, by God's grace, by God's help, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. And as she sees that and she feels that, she can begin to respect you as a man and as a husband. And listen, we are going to fail and fall, all of us. Wives are not going to respect the husbands, and husbands are not going to love their wives. And so you know what we need? We need our husband who gave himself up for us, Jesus on the cross. So Jesus is not just an example for us to follow, men. He is literally the substitute for our sins and for our wives' sins. Without Christ, we are left in darkness. We are spiritually dead, and the wrath of God remains on us for our sin. But because Jesus took responsibility for his bride, he took 
her sins into his body on the tree. He took the curse for us, and now we are forgiven and free. We are cleansed. We are being sanctified. We are being made spotless without wrinkle. But Jesus initially took responsibility for his wife on the cross. 